Over the years, people have often asked how I can bear the study depression. How is it that I can digest all of that sadness without becoming overwhelmed by it? The explanation is as simple and as complicated as this. When I was young, I experienced my own depression. And due to a supportive family, many friends, close colleagues, effective psychotherapy, and effective antidepressant treatment, I was able to develop resilience, which helped me to bear the enormous distress of my patients and to live without despair. My father was born in Tiberias in northern Palestine. His father was an Orthodox rabbi, and my father was raised to strictly honor his father and mother. When he was 13, his mother died in childbirth. Two years later, his father remarried to a woman who did not like his children. When my father was 16, his stepmother threw him out of the house. Afterward, my father asked his father to give him his blessing to go to America. His father initially refused, but then agreed to take the case to Rabbi Cook, the chief rabbi of Jerusalem. Rabbi Cook would decide whether my father should be able to start a new life in America. After spending two days with my father and grandfather, Rabbi Cook decided that my father should leave for America. His father accepted the decision. Shortly thereafter, my father and a friend were attacked on the street. My father saw his friend's throat slashed right before his eyes. He was plagued by nightmares for the rest of his life. He was further traumatized by not being able to obtain a visa to go to America, which effectively put his life on hold. Eventually, after sojourns in Alexandria, Marseille, and Calais, he stowed away on a ship and arrived in Providence, Rhode Island. Two years later, he married a woman who went on to have an affair with his boss. He was devastated, and they divorced soon after this. Because of his experiences as an adolescent and in his marriage, my father, who was a strong man in many ways, had a palpable lifetime dread of abandonment. My mother was born in what was Slonim, Lithuania, now located in Belarus. She told me she lived in several different countries without ever having moved. In 1913, her father emigrated to America and planned to bring over the rest of the family as soon as possible. World War I broke out, however, and my mother and grandmother could not embark for America until 1919 when my mother was 14. My mother remembers that during the war years, she and her sister would run across potato fields at night, dodging the bullets of invading Russian soldiers. In addition, her family had to endure pogroms that often threatened their lives and destroyed their property. When the war ended, my mother, her sister, and their mother obtained visas to come to America. My grandmother's eyesight was sufficiently poor that she worried that the whole family would be sent back from Ellis Island to Eastern Europe. My mother proudly remembers standing behind my grandmother and prompting her with the correct answers to the eye test. However, when my grandmother finally made it to America, she quickly discovered that her husband had married another woman and had started a new family. My grandmother had no choice but to try to build a life for her family without a husband. She settled the family into a tenement house on Hester Street in the Lower East Side. My parents met at a Hebrew teacher's convention in New York City and made their way to Newport News, Virginia, where they started a Hebrew academy. My brother was born there, and I came along three years later. I was born during the period between the Jewish New Year and the Day of Atonement. 
My mother told me that this placed a responsibility on my shoulders for a lifetime of good works. My parents organized their lives around nurturing my brother and me in the hope that we would live up to our potential. When I was six, the lives of our family were changed forever. My brother, Chip, suddenly lost the capacity to talk or swallow. I'll never forget the late Friday afternoon when the ENT doctor told my parents that my brother was seriously ill with a life-threatening condition called bulbar polio. Bulbar polio invades the brain stem rather than the spinal cord and ultimately interferes with the respiration and cardiac functions the brain stem controls. Bulbar polio carried a mortality rate of 80%. My brother's doctor rushed him by ambulance to a special hospital across the James River Bridge 25 miles away. Anything across the seven-mile span of the James River seemed to me a world away, and I could only imagine what my brother was enduring. I had no idea how he was going to eat or communicate. I anticipated the worst. My parents were shattered. My mother remembers being so distracted that at times she forgot to feed me, even though both of my parents were very loving and committed to my welfare. Both my mother and my father cried frequently. I vowed to myself not to cause them any trouble. I felt guilty that it was my brother who was so sick rather than me, and that my parents were so often distraught. I felt helpless because I could not lighten their burden. I loved them very much, and it was excruciating for me to see them in so much distress. Miraculously, my brother recovered almost completely in eight months. According to the Jewish tradition, when a child recovers from a life-threatening illness, his middle name is changed to Chaim, the Jewish word for life. My parents often called him lovingly by that name. Overall, he was left with a slight difficulty in swallowing and an unusual high-pitched sneeze. Because the area affected was near the sleep center in the brainstem, he slept for only five hours a night for the rest of his life. However, my parents' lives were changed forever. After, they were always anticipating catastrophes. They became overprotective of my brother and me, and we were very careful never to worry them. In many ways, we felt responsible for their emotions, as if those were something under children's control.